You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's our hope. It's the hope we have as followers of Jesus Christ, and uh, what an amazing hope that it is. Hey, uh, get your Bibles out today, and uh, let's open them up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're uh, visiting with us and don't have a Bible, there's probably one somewhere in the uh, row there, a uh, blue one that's there, and um, if you don't know where Ephesians is, that's okay. It's on page 976. Uh, that's where you'll find the text that we're going to be looking at today, and um, we're going to be diving into that in just a moment. It's not lost on me that today is April the 1st and that it's April Fool's Day. Um, there's a lot of people who, um, who think you're a fool for being here today. Um, but the reality is the work of Jesus Christ is the only hope for our world. Um, Psalm 14 and verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The uh, missionary Jim Elliott, who uh, gave his life in serving the Lord, he said this, he, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to talk about peace today, and uh, even this quote in the context of peace. We, we have peace and people striving for it in all kinds of ways. People, people long for peace. We long for peace between the nations. We long for peace in our families. We long for peace in the workplace. We, we're all longing. Everyone's longing for some kind of peace. But the reality is the peace that is offered in Jesus Christ is the peace that everyone in the world needs. It is the hope of our salvation. And so the quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. See, people are striving after peace that doesn't last. And you're not a fool to give that up when you gain what you cannot lose, which is the peace of knowing Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going today. We could talk about a lot of things when we talk about the, re- the resurrection. We could talk about restoration. We could talk about hope. We could talk about satisfaction. But today, we're going to laser in and we want to talk about peace. So get your Bibles open. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And uh, we're going to look through a bunch of this chapter. But I'm going to read verses 14 to 19. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, uh, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your amazing word. We thank you for this truth. And as we launch through this chapter, an amazing section of your scriptures, Lord, that God, you would... uh, Give us great wisdom to listen and hear and minds, God, to comprehend and understand. But then, Lord, on this day, 
as this day when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you would give us a passion, Lord, a passion to know you, to know you more, and a passion to live out for your glory, not because of who we are, what we've done, Lord. We've accomplished nothing, but you've accomplished everything so that we would live out for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you might have peace. In Jesus Christ, that's where peace is found, in me you might have peace. And there's the promise, in the world you're going to have tribulation. It's not going to be easy. We're going to live in a world, we're going to struggle, we're going to have pain, we're going to have suffering, just like everybody else. In the world, you will have tribulation. You can take that to the bank, but take heart I have overcome the world. What Christ is offering today, what the work of Christ accomplished today is greater than anything that could be accomplished in this world. As a matter of fact, Jesus went on. He said in Matthew 10, 34, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the world. Remember, they were looking for a king. They were looking for a conqueror. They were looking for one who was going to come and rule Jerusalem and rule the world. And, and then Jesus Christ died on a cross. He said, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, not on this earth. The peace we need is far greater than what the world could offer. And so it's Easter. And so let's uh, set the setting of this a little bit. Let's make sure we've got the scene right. Jesus is dead. He hung on a cross on Friday. And from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m., he hung. And then he said, it is finished and He's dead. It's now Sunday morning early, and despair hangs over the followers of Christ. For, for many hours, they've tried to figure out what just happened, what just went on here. How could this be? The Savior we wanted to follow, the Messiah we were looking for, he is dead. He's gone. They hurriedly took him down off of the cross. Christ died at three and had to be off the cross and buried before the Sabbath. And so by six o'clock, Jesus Christ is in a tomb. And this whirlwind of 72 hours is going by and they're remembering things that he said. He said, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And what did he mean? What was that about? What was he focusing on? but it's about to become their reality. The burial was hurried. The body wasn't prepared properly, and Jesus was buried. And ladies have prepared the spices to take to the tomb, and, and now they're on their way. They're not sure how they're going to get into the tomb. The tomb has been sealed, but they believe they need to go and try and do this, and the tomb had been sealed by the Romans, and it could not be opened. But when they arrived, the tomb was opened the tomb was open. Someone reminded me between the services, it wasn't open to let Jesus out. It was open so we could look in and we could see he was not there. The two angels uh, speak to the ladies and they said, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Don't you remember the things that Jesus taught? Don't you remember the... And they run back and they tell the disciples and Peter and John have a foot race to the tomb and when they get there, they're marveling yet not fully understanding what has been accomplished. 
The sadness and despair now is going away as they're trying to understand and trying to comprehend because their world, which was shaken just 72 hours ago, is shaken again now as they realize that Jesus Christ is alive. He appears to Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome and Joanna and other women. And Jesus appears to Simon Peter. I'm always blown away by this. I'm so thankful to God that that little bit is in the scripture. Simon Peter, that brave and courageous one. No, Lord, they're not going to do this to you. And he lops off the, the uh, ear of the uh, high priest servant and Christ heals it. And then, and then that Peter, just a couple hours later, is denying Jesus. It says, and the Lord looked at Peter after he denied him, and Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine what those days were like for him? The disappointment that he felt in what he had done, and yet one of the first people Jesus meets with after his resurrection is Peter. What a great hope for us of restoration. What a great hope for us of forgiveness. And he meets with Peter a day later on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walks with two men and then Jesus appears to the ten disciples. Remember, a Thomas wasn't there, and he wouldn't believe. And, and then Jesus meets again with the eleven, with Thomas there. And, and then Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee, and uh, Peter is restored. And then the Bible says that Jesus appeared to a large crowd of over 500 people. Uh, Jesus Christ was alive. Jesus Christ is risen. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the loud declaration that Jesus is enough. The resurrection of Christ is the declaration that Jesus Christ is enough. He's enough to atone for your sins. He's enough to reconcile you to God. He's enough to present you holy in God's presence. He's enough to free you from the curse of the law. He's enough to promise you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. If the death of Jesus is the payment, his resurrection is the receipt. It's the proof. He was who he said he was. He did what he said he would do, and he did it for you. So today, as we consider the reality of the resurrection of Christ, we want to laser in on this idea of peace. As I said, there's so many other things we could laser in on, but this year, let's laser in on, on peace. Well, but why? Why is this peace so important? Three things I want us to see today. Peace is required because the relationship is broken. A peace is required because the relationship is broken. Look uh, down in your Bibles, Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The relationship with God in our sin is broken, and we can't fix it. And this text describes what that brokenness looks like. And the first word it uses is you were dead. You were dead. You know, so many people think, well, no, I, I'm striving for God. I'm trying to meet God. That's, that's how I came to Christ. I was on my journey. No, you didn't. The Bible says you're dead. Dead people aren't striving for anything. Nothing happens until Christ does a work. And you found yourself 
in a condition that you were dead. That's how broken it is. It's so broken, you're dead. A couple words that are used there says, uh, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, that word uh, trespasses means you, you crossed the line. You crossed the line. You know, sometimes um, I'm at home and I'll say something that's just a little goofy and Sue will go, yeah, you crossed the line, right? You already you know what that means, right? Like it's, oh, 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 oh. This is not going to go good for me anymore, right? You crossed the line. Well, that's what so it means. You're dead in your trespasses. You crossed the line. And in your sins, the word means you, you missed the mark. You missed the mark. Every one of us, every one of us, I'm no better than anyone else in the room, not only did we cross the line, but we missed the mark. And the Bible says, as a result, you are dead. You are dead. That's the first word that's used to describe us. Here's another word that's used to describe us in, in verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of air, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we're pictured as people who are disobedient. We miss the mark in that we're dead. We miss the mark in that we are disobedient. We're disobedient in our sin. You notice you don't have to teach your kids to be disobedient. They just somehow figure that out all on their own. We're disobedient. Because we want what we want more than even what's right for us. And, and we're disobedient because we're following after the pattern that Satan has for us. We'd rather listen to him and his plan than what God has for us. It said you are dead. It says you are disobedient. In verse 3, we're called children of wrath, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul's saying, you people in Ephesus who have now trusted Christ, you were children of wrath. You rightly deserved God's wrath poured out on you. Every single person in this room, dead, disobedient, and deserves the wrath of God poured out on you. Do you get it? You're broken. You're broken. And we need peace because we're so broken and we're so spiritually dead. Called children of wrath. Look down to verse 12. Remember that you um, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He gives a, a whole list of things that describe how broken we are, that we were separated and we were alienated. We were strangers and we have no hope. And he goes, if you haven't got it yet, if you haven't got it yet, get this, you're without God. You're without God. Jesus Christ came. He suffered a price for you. He died for you. Why? Because you are without God. This gap between God and man is so broad, nothing can be done to fix it in ourselves. You're without God. You get it? We need peace because we're broken. In verse 19, we're called aliens. Not the outer space kind of aliens, more the American citizen kind of aliens. You don't belong here. You're not part of this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. And then there's the great news, but you are fellow citizens with saints. So he describes us as being broken people. In other parts in the Bible, we're called blind or a slave to sin or a lover of darkness or sick or lost or a foreigner or under the power of darkness. 
Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ rose again. Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf before God. Why? Because we're broken. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing, though. Peace is available because the solution was provided. Peace is available because the solution was provided. Look at verse 4. But God. Now stop there for a second. But God. I love but God's in the scripture. I'm messed up. I'm separated from God. I can't fix this. I don't even want this. But God. I've sinned. But God. I've messed up. But God. Our lives are filled with a huge but God all of the time. I didn't want a relationship. But God. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Wow, there's an amazing statement. I get it how you love people who maybe hurt you, but, but you love them. A spouse, a friend, a family member. A, but that's not how we're described. God loved us when we were wretches. God loved us when we were in a position of enmity with him. God loved us even when we hated him. But God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, See, our love so often to each other is conditional. You love me, I love you. You do what I want, I'll reciprocate what you want. We were doing nothing for this relationship. As a matter of fact, we were doing everything to destroy this relationship. But God, in his mercy, he loved us when we were the most unlovable that we could possibly be. Then down to verse 5 to 7, he gives a great picture. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, Christ is risen, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He paints three pictures for us. There's a past, present, and future picture. The first picture says when, that when we were dead, and we were all dead, and we had no hope, and when we were in that condition, when we were dead, that's when God moved. God didn't wait until you moved toward him. When you were dead, God moved. When we were without hope, God sent his son. When there was nothing we could do to fix this problem, Jesus Christ fixed it for us. He hung on a cross. He was the sacrifice. He was the spotless lamb. He was the one who shed his blood. And he was the one who rose again, proving that he was who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. When we were dead, when you didn't even want it, Christ died for you in the past. In the present, it says he made us alive together with Christ. And we're going to come back to what that looks like for us. But he made us alive together with him in Christ. That's what Christ is accomplishing in this Easter picture for us. And uh, your Easter might be this day when you realize what Christ did. He, he made us alive I'm dead and he makes me alive. That's the present picture. And the future picture is he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what we look forward to. Eternal life doesn't begin when you get to heaven. Eternal life begins the moment you trust Christ. But there's something so much greater that's coming, so much better that's there for the follower of Christ. And 
And that's the peace we're looking for. We're looking for that peace that passes the understanding of this world. The peace that's not found in stuff and people and work, and, but the peace that's found in Jesus Christ. The past, the present, and the future. And we see the way this worked out for us in verses 8 and 9, two of the most famous verses of the whole Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may, no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So what is the saving piece of this? Grace is the saving piece of this. God's grace poured out for us. Uh, picture it like this. Um, you have a garden hose, and you got to get water from the tap to the garden. And the, the water that's going to be the nutrient that's going to cause the plants to grow, it goes through the hose. The hose is faith. But the substance that goes through is God's grace. And God's grace is poured out through the hose of faith. And so the Bible says, for by grace... God's working, God's unmerited favor, God's doing what you didn't even want, God's pouring out, for by grace you are saved through faith. That's the part that you have where you transfer your trust from yourself and what you were hoping in and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. Are you? Have you transferred your trust and you're resting in the grace of God, the working of God, the, the working of Jesus Christ. It's an action of faith. It's coming to the place of understanding I'm separated from God in my sin. And I can't fix it. I'm broken. We've already given you the picture for that. We're broken messes. But by faith, we transfer our trust. I'm, I'm not putting my trust in myself anymore. I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not well, you know, it's, it's 20% me and 80% God. If you're on that plan, you failed. It's all about what Jesus Christ did. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not based on works. It's not based on your 20%, your 40%, your 60%. It's based on what Jesus Christ did. That's the only way we can be reconciled to God who deserves, who should put us all under the punishment, the judgment of wrath. But because of Jesus Christ who paid the price. We receive Christ by faith. And maybe you've been taught, no, no, you've got to have good works. Not to get saved, you don't. The good work to get you saved was done by Christ. Yeah. That's the good work. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, the Bible says. It's more like this. It's more like when I get to heaven, you've heard me say this before, you've come to our church. When you get to heaven and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? There's no verse in the Bible that says it's going to happen quite like that. But at some point, there's a judgment that's going to happen, right? And the answer to the question is, well, you know, you know, I understand Jesus did some stuff and, you know, I was in it too. I worked hard. I tried to be a good person. I lived well. Not too many people hated me. Way more people liked me. Wrong answer. The answer to the question of why would I ever let you into my heaven is because of him. 100% because of him. 
because of what he did, because of what he suffered, what we remembered on Good Friday, Christ hanging on a cross, his blood being shed. What? To pay for my sin without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he shed his blood so you could have eternal life. And the answer is not me, not me. I'm with him. It's all what Jesus Christ did. It's all because of his grace. For by grace are you saved. All I did was believe the work. All I did was believe everything that Jesus did for me. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's an amazing gift. It's not based on my works. Verse 13 says, 13 says but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In this text, Paul is also helping them to understand um, the Jews and the Gentiles and how there was a, a plan for the Jews and the Gentiles. All that's all part of this text as well. It's just not the focus of today and how God is bringing together because there's only one way to the Father. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. There's one way to the Father. It's through Jesus Christ the Lord. And he says in that verse, he says, but now in Christ Jesus. And so the question is, are you in Christ Jesus? That just means, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Maybe a, a friend brought you to church today. Maybe they've been witnessing to you at work. Or maybe they're a family member. And they've been trying to help you to understand what Jesus Christ did is the source of our peace. It's where our peace comes from. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And what Christ has done, he overcame for us and it's a transferring of your trust from, I thought it was about me. I thought I was striving to get to God. I thought I was good enough to, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. You might be sitting there going, well, who do you think you are? I'm just like you. I come to Christ the same way you come to. There, there, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are sinners who don't know Christ, and there are sinners who've been saved by Christ. But we're all equal. We're all sinners. Christ is saying, this work I did, I did for you. Trust in me and you can be saved. Mark 8, 36 says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Sounds a little bit like Jim Elliott's statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. All the things that this world offers. Can't keep those to gain what he cannot lose. Peace is required because the relationship is broken. Peace is available because the solution was provided and provided in Jesus Christ. And here's the third thing. Peace is accomplished. Peace is accomplished because the work is done. The work is done. I don't find peace in myself. I don't find peace in what I can accomplish. It's not in my attributes. It's not true peace. I might be happy for a day, but it's not true peace you know, Paul loved this word. Um, in the Bible, when he writes, he used it over 43 times. He uses the word eight times in this book. And he describes um, um, Jesus Christ. He says, he is our peace. He is our peace. Maybe you're sitting there going, oh, pastor, that's okay for you. Like you get to sit around the church all week long and read your Bible and hang out with really cool people. And um, he didn't say he's my peace. He said he's our peace. The peace that God offers for everyone. It's not for the clergy. It's for all of us. Christ is our peace. 
And what he accomplished, he, he, he solved the gap. He, he, he filled the void. That's where our peace comes from. My peace is not in my home. My peace is not in my family. My peace is not in, uh, those, are, those are temporal things and they're going away. My peace is in Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And when you get your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, you experience his peace. And what this world offers and all the things that are, they're not so important anymore. Because I'm going to get my eyes centered on Jesus Christ. He is our peace. The Bible goes on to say he makes peace. He establishes it. He makes peace because he's the one who broke down the barriers. He's the one who, who met the need. He's the one who was the satisfaction of the wrath of God. Christ has done this by breaking down the barriers, by reconciling us to God and to giving us hope. In Romans 5, 1 and verse 10, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, that means since we've been made right with God, justification is a, a legal term, we've been made right with God, the, the slate has been made clean since we've been justified, how by faith, what happens? We have peace, we have peace with God. A relationship with Christ solves the enmity between us and God, and we have peace with God. And the verse says, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through what he did. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He makes peace. Christ preached about this. He said in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now take your Bibles and turn one more book over towards the back of your Bibles to, or to Philippians uh, chapter 4 because uh, Paul teaches some other things for us to understand about peace and that this peace is available for us. The peace is available for us. Now listen carefully and don't miss this because if you miss this, you get it all wrong. Okay, we're going to talk for now for a few minutes about how peace works out in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to think, well, okay, he's going to give me a list. If I just do these things, I'll be okay. No, you won't. If you're not in Christ, you miss the whole thing. Paul is writing to believers. And so when we went to what did Christ do in his death and his burial and his resurrection, the satisfaction of God's wrath, the wrath so you could have eternal life by putting your faith in Christ. That's, that's the foundation. You get that right, and then this is what comes out of it for the rest of us in the room. There's some things that he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, says I've been an example to you. Practice these things, and the God of peace, he's going to be with you. You want the God of peace to be with you? Here's the things you need to do. Here's the things you need to focus on. In the Old Testament, Isaiah said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Think about these things. 
There's a battle for our minds as followers of Jesus Christ. And what are the things we need to get focused on? What are the things we need to understand in Christ and the resurrection and the hope we have in Christ? Now, now what do I do? What do I do? Well, here's, here's some things to think about. First thing is to think about things that are true. Think about things that are true. It means things that are valid and honest and reliable. Put another way, stop believing the lies of Satan. Stop it. You know it's not true. And you choose to believe it anyway. Well, I'm no good. God can't use me. I'm on the shelf. Lies. They're all lies. Think about things that are true. Think about the things of God that are true. Think about the working of God in your life that is true. You get your eyes focused on those things, and God will give you peace. Think about things that are honorable, things that are noble, things that are worthy of respect. Is that what you think about? Or do you think about how you're going to get even with somebody or how you're going to hurt them and they did this to me and this is going to happen to them? And you don't have peace when you're thinking like that. Your life is filled with turmoil. So think about things that are honorable. Think about the things that are just and right. Here's one. Think about things that are pure. So often our minds and our society and the things we're bombarded with all the time leads us to be thinking about things that are impure, immoral, dishonest. And I can tell you this for sure, when you're not thinking about pure things, excuse me, when you're thinking about impure things, you don't have peace. You don't have peace. You can't have peace. Because you're setting the Lord aside and you go, I want this over here. This is what I'm after. And think about things that are pure. He goes on, he says, think about things that are lovely. It means that things that are agreeable or pleasing. Think about things that are commendable, things that are admirable, or things that are worth it. It's worth your time to be thinking about this. He says, think about things that are excellent things that measure up to the highest standard. Think about things that are praiseworthy. Get your eyes fixed on things that are praiseworthy. You, you think about your family and how, how messed up your kids are. Yeah, you're not having any peace. But be thankful to God for the family you have and what God has given to you and turn those things to praise and you watch the peace as it pours out on you. Think about things that are praiseworthy. Why? Why? Well, at the end of verse 9, it tells us, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You want the God of peace with you? Is that what we want? It's what I want. Then you think about these things. Then you think about these things. See, there's a promise of peace in that same chapter, the verses before. It's kind of how do we get peace of God. Um, verses uh, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? What? Look at it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, we're talking about people who are in Christ. You, you want the promise of peace. You want to, how do we get the peace of God? There's a few things he writes down for us as followers of Christ. This is all accomplished because Christ is risen because this is all in Christ. Here's the first one, rejoice. Choose joy always. Not just when it's easy. It's easy to choose joy when it's easy. Choose joy when it's hard. Choose joy in the difficult circumstance. Rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say it. We're a little bit thick-headed. So he says it once. Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, duh. And again, I say rejoice. 
Choose joy. Choose to focus on what God has done. Choose to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Choose to focus on his working. I've watched people in our church going through horrific things who choose joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. You'll have peace. Here's one. Be reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. Uh, Josiah, you're in the front. You see, you mistake to sit in the front today, man. I can't come all the way over there. I'll walk out of the light. But um, be reasonable. They just got married just a few months ago. And, and they're learning about what reasonableness is. I know Marit phones me. She phones me two or three times a week. And she goes, what is with this guy? <laughs> no, she doesn't do that part. But you ever find you're unreasonable about things? The text says, let your reasonableness be known to all. It's not like you walk around going, hey, I'm so reasonable. It, it shows out. So I preached this. Last night, I walk out into the foyer. It's raining outside. And I'm the preacher for Pete's sake. I've just given it. I'm thinking the car should be brought to the front door to pick me up. <laughs> I thought that was reasonable. My wife didn't view it exactly the same way. And so I went and got the car and came and picked her up at the door. And she was saying to the people we were talking to that that would be the reasonable thing to do. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you're twisting that verse to make it work for you, right? Hey, okay, that's lighthearted. Let your reasonableness be known to all. People should see a difference in you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It should be one of the things that draws them to us. They look at you and you go, you're not like everybody else. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. You say, is it really that important, pastor? Well, the verse happens to say, the Lord is at hand. So yeah, it's important. It's important. Then he goes on, he says, don't be, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious or be anxious for nothing. The Greek literally means don't be divided, don't be distracted. And you're like, but pastor, you don't understand my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how hard it is. You cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Don't be anxious. How do we get through that? Well, the verse goes on, he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. You want to deal with an unreasonable spirit? You want to deal with anxiety in your life? but in everything by prayer and supplication. See, most of us just try and fix the problems instead of getting on our face before the Lord and crying out to the one who can fix the problem. But in everything by prayer, crying out to the Lord, that's when we get our eyes fixed on the right things. That's when our anxieties, we start to understand. You, you guys all know that like 90% of the things you worry about never happen anyways. But you never pray about it. You never pray about it. And Jesus Christ accomplished all this so we can come to him, we can cry out to him, and we can cast our cares upon him because he cares about us. Don't be anxious about this stuff, especially on this earth. The God who brought you here this morning is taking care of everything you need. He'll take care of you. I watch people around the world who suffer through all kinds of things as followers of Christ, and they don't have the cares we have. They're just like, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm trusting the Lord. Don't be anxious. But by prayer... And supplication, and then he says, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a critical piece to this because it's in thanksgiving that we're always remembering what God has done and how he's been faithful and why I don't need to be anxious about this stuff because God's going to care for me. And then look what happens. Here's the reward. And the peace of God. There it is. It's the promise. And the peace of God. 
You want the peace of God? Here's how you get the recipe for the peace of God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you be growing up in these things. And the peace of God is going to rule your hearts. It's going to guard your heart. It's going to guard your mind. How? In Christ Jesus. See, it all comes back to in Christ Jesus. It doesn't come back to in trying harder. It doesn't come back to what I accomplished. It all comes back to what he did and what he accomplished. It's all ours in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ paid the price. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ rose again. Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf before the Father. All of this is available to us, the peace of God. That's Easter. That's Easter. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The enmity, the gap, the chasm, the no hope, the I can't get there, it's taken care of in Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, so what? So what? On Good Friday, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was awful what was happening to Jesus Christ. But it was the answer to the need that we had. And Easter, resurrection, it's like we just won the lottery. It can't get any better than this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Where's your peace found today? If you're not a follower of Christ, true peace is found in a relationship with him by putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Not in the things of this world. They're temporal and they all go away. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and be saved. But follower of Christ, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Christ has accomplished all of these things for us. Stop holding on to the things of this world so, so um, tightly. Hold them loosely. Because you can't take them with you. And what you cannot lose is a relationship and the peace of knowing Jesus Christ. The fool has said in his heart, April Fools, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But we know that Jesus Christ, he lives and he is our redeemer. Peace is accomplished. Peace is available do you have it? Are you living it? Don't allow the work of Jesus Christ to be in vain. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. Thank you for it. Thank you for the writing of Paul as he took us from understanding how deplorable, how messed up we were, how far we were from you, and what was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And the peace that surpasses understanding is ours by faith alone in Christ alone. And it's ours to keep us and lead us and to help us to walk uprightly for your glory. And so on this Easter, Lord, we rejoice in your working. We rejoice in our salvation when we go from here living for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen.